Good morning. Um, the scripture this morning comes from Matthew six twenty-five through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he, much, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As I mentioned a a minute ago, we... Started last week a little two two week mini series on anxiety or or worry, taken from this little part of the Sermon on the Mount that Chad just read Matthew six twenty five through thirty four and and sort of the main idea of last week. In case you weren't here, you can always listen to that um, through our website or search Imperial Berean Sermons on iTunes, and they are on there. What I wanted to do or accomplish last week was help us to understand or see anxiety for what it is, which is a, it's a problem. It's, it's something to struggle against. It's not something to accept or to nurse or to encourage. We defined anxiety or worry, uh, same Greek word can, can be translated either way, as that feeling of threat, that there's a threat out there somewhere. There's some, there's some threat that is imminently possible, though it's not currently present. And we started last week with with this quote from an author named Arthur Roche, who said that anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. I love this word picture that our anxiety is just a little bit of fear and and we can't help it but have fear at times. That's, That's part of being human, But when it's encouraged, it cuts that channel deeper and deeper and deeper till the rest of our thoughts get drained through the filter of anxiety. Now, how do we encourage our fear, encourage our anxiety? We encourage that when we spend our mental energy convincing ourselves or maybe convincing our friends that I'm right and I am logical to be thinking these worried, anxious thoughts about this topic. That encourages, makes us feel legitimate about our anxiety. The problem with that 
is that Jesus very clearly commands us not to go through life worried, anxious. He, Paul tells us that he has given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of uh, courage. You know, frankly, just worry, anxiety, they're not tools in God's toolbox. They're tools of our three-headed enemy, the, the world of our flesh and the devil, to use against us. Author Walter Kelly wrote that worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant. It's assurance of disaster. It's belief in defeat. Then he said, worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Worry's a problem. Uh, It's not good. Uh, Last week, here was the six points of last week's sermon. This is sort of six truths pulled out of this passage to, to remind us what we should already know, that anxiety many times is a bigger problem than whatever it is we're actually worried about. Because, first, the whole reason Jesus brought up this topic of anxiety and worry is is that anxiety is the result of placing our hope on what we can lose. He had just previously taught us about not storing up treasures on earth, not getting our eyes stuck, focused on things in this world that we can lose, because when we focus on stuff we can lose, our anxiety results because we know, we think I need this to have peace, to be happy, to have joy, and my heart knows I could lose it. My brain knows I could lose it, and here comes the anxiety. Second truth from last week about anxiety is that it narrows our focus. It puts the blinders on us. Anxiety makes us focus on this one thing that's wrong. Ignore everything that's good and right and pleasant. Your heart will be convinced by anxiety. You can't be happy until you know how this will turn out, until you can fix this, Till Jesus said, isn't there more to life? than what you are worried about. Number three, because anxiety narrows our focus so much, number three, anxiety robs us of our purpose because anxiety puts our purpose on stuff it shouldn't be on. And it robs us of the joy of fulfilling God's purpose in our lives where he's put us with what he's given us. Fourth, from a guy named Robert Mounts, We learned last week that anxiety is practical atheism. It's living like, it's acting like, I don't believe either there's a God who's in control or that he knows what's going on or that he cares about me or that he will do good by me. Fifth, because of that, anxiety damages our testimony for Christ. When I live out of anxiety, the message I send to an unbeliever, to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, is that I don't have any more hope than they have. I have no realer hope, no truer hope than what they have. And finally, last week we said anxiety, if nothing else, it does no good. Who of you, Jesus said, can add even one hour to his life by worrying? That was last week's sermon. Anxiety is a problem. 
Maybe you already knew that. Maybe you're like, well, yeah, I've got all this anxiety. I don't want it. What do I do about it? I hope you're that far. If, if you're still sort of in that place where, no, if you understood what's threatening me, you wouldn't say my worry is a problem. It's logical. It's reasonable. I'm right to live with this. Today's not going to help. Because until you recognize a problem as a problem, you will never address the problem. If it's not a problem, if it ain't broke, you won't fix it. But if, you, if you're here this morning, you're like, okay, I, I know anxiety is often a bigger problem than whatever it is I'm anxious about. But what do I, what do? I do? How, do I, how do I fight anxiety if it's something to be fought? Jesus didn't just shake his finger and shout at people, stop worrying, God doesn't like it. Trying to quit worrying simply by trying to quit worrying does not work, (laughs) right? Some of you have been trying that for years. Uh, I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, somebody took a picture of a sign that said, in the history of calm down, no one has ever calmed down by being told to calm down. I love that. Worry's the same way. The first step in dealing with our worry is we have to just quit trying to quit trying worrying. We have to do something different. Do you remember when you were a little kid being scared of stuff that might be under your bed? Or if you have little kids, or if you have had little kids, did they, any of them go through a, a stage where they, they could imagine these terrible, awful creatures that just might be under their bed. And it doesn't matter if they get down there and look, because they can hide in a hurry. Right? Well, there's a story of a, of a man who never grew out of that. I'm sure there's a phobia name for this, but I don't know what it is. But he didn't sleep well for years and years because he thought there would be something under his bed. And he really struggled with that. And one day he saw one of his friends and he told his friend, hey, my brother fixed that problem. And his buddy said, really, that's great. What, is your brother a psychiatrist or something? He said, no, he's a carpenter. He cut the legs off my bed. And suddenly there, was n- there wasn't any room for scary things. That, that's what we're looking for with anxiety. We're looking for a way to sort of cut the, cut the legs of the bed off our hearts, if that's even a metaphor, but something that will leave much less room in our brains and in our minds for anxiety. It's a little bit like trying to get all the air out of a bottle. Bottles are plastic today, so I'll use a plastic bottle. If, if, if there's a problem that you want to get all the air out of the bottle, one thing you can do is kind of suck all the air out of it, squash the bottle, right, leaving no room for the air. problem is a bottle's no good if it's all squished up, and as soon as you stretch it back out, what's going to happen? The air is going to go right back in. How do you have a useful bottle with no air in it? The easy way to do it is pour something in that does a better job of holding the air out. You fill the bottle up with water, there's no more room for air. That's what we're looking for with anxiety. I am more and more convinced, just about, no matter what, we're trying to quit. Almost everything must be replaced rather than just quit. If I want to stop cussing, 
I had better find different words to use when I stub my toe. If I want to stop eating so much junk food, I'm not going to just quit eating. I better find healthier, healthier alternatives to eat. And if I want to quit being anxious, that has to be replaced. Anxiety must be replaced. Today's sermon is basically the, the application section of last week's sermon. If we know anxiety is a problem, how do we deal with it? We replace it with what and how. That's where we're going today. Really, four things to replace your anxiety with. And very intentionally, I want to start with this. Replace anxiety with peace. Now, this is going to sound simplistic, but hang, stick with me here. This is not just first, like in the order on the sermon. This is first because this is the goal. It's really, really important when your anxiety spikes to tell yourself your goal is to have peace. If that's not your goal, your goal will become putting out all these things that cause you a little bit of anxiety and it's exhausting and it doesn't work. More on that in a minute. The opposite of anxiety is peace. This feeling of tranquility that all is is well. I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It may not be. Life may not be how I would draw it up. But I can be at 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 a place of tranquility in my heart without my circumstances being perfect. Peace is where I want to be. If I don't have that as my ultimate goal, I I won't hit a target I'm not aiming at. Does that make sense? When my anxiety spikes, step one, peace is what I want. Once I get that far, then I can begin to ask myself, well, how might I find peace? Where might I find peace? And for the Christian, the Bible tells us peace is a gift from God. Peace is not the absence of trouble or conflict. Peace is a gift. John 14, 27, if you know the story of the Last Supper, the upper room, the night Jesus was betrayed, um, there comes a point where Judas Iscariot leaves to go fetch the cops, so to speak. And he's going to betray Jesus into the hands of the authorities. And and Jesus is staring down the barrel of his execution. And things are about to get real scary, real quick for the disciples. And Jesus tells them, hey guys, I'm about to be gone. I'm about to leave you. Then he says this, but peace I leave with you. My peace... I give to you. And I don't give like the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, once all that starts to go down, the disciples' anxiety starts to tell them, you know what would fix this? If you'd get down off that cross, 
Stop playing around with all this human weakness stuff. Right? Set up the kingdom. Give us what we want. My anxiety will go away. No. Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace during this scary situation. Peace is a gift that comes from God during scary uh, situations that we wouldn't desire. And that's the goal. Peace. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. Now, it's not naturally what we seek. We think we seek peace. But we don't seek the peace of Christ. We, we seek a counterfeit kind of peace. When our anxiety spikes, we tend to seek a counterfeit kind of peace that comes through different means besides a gift from God during bad situations. I want to make you aware of a couple of counterfeit ways to find peace or counterfeit uh, pieces. Is that a word? I don't know. One thing that's very, one way that it's very common for us to try and get peace in sort of a counterfeit way is to try and replace my anxiety with control. When your anxiety spikes, it's very possible your heart will be telling you, they can't hurt you if you're in control. If you, nothing can hurt you if you control all the outcomes. I just want to say this as bluntly as I can say it. Control is a lousy cure for anxiety. It's a terrible cure for anxiety. You know why? You just wind up with 25 more things to be anxious about. Because you know you're not in control. And I'm going to try to control this. I'm going to try to control this. And if I control everything, then my anxiety will go away. But now I'm trying to control 200 things. And my heart knows I'm not in control. That's what I was anxious about in the first place. It's a hamster wheel. You're You're just going and going and going. And it does not work. It control, or the illusion of control creates way more anxiety than it cures. Let's, let's put a couple of common things, com- common examples into this and test them out. Let's say you are anxious about your health. So what are you going to do? I'm going to control it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't eat right and exercise. You should. We should take care. of This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I should take care of it. But if I think I'm going to control my health, eventually I'm in for some anxiety. Because I am not in control. Every time, I mean, I can exercise three times a day. I can, you know, make sure I don't eat this. And I control, try to control, 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 control. But then every time I get a little bit short of breath, every time I get a sore throat, every time something starts to sag or wrinkles start to show up, here comes my anxiety. My, it causes me anxiety. Uh, let's say you are anxious about your spouse's role in your marriage. And your heart's telling you, you're not going to be happy 
unless he or she does what God wants him or her to do. So what do you do? I try to control. I try to manipulate. If you've been in the marriage Sunday school class, I'm guessing this sort of thing has been touched on. I'm going to use the cold shoulder. I'm going to use anger. I'm going to use whatever to try to control my spouse. That's going to cause more problem, more conflict, more distance, and more anxiety. Maybe you're, you're anxious about uh, your kids' activities. What do you do? Figure out how to control. We could go on and on and on, and it, it just never works because we're not in control. It's easy to believe that if I can hold tighter, control others, control my environment, it'll lessen my anxiety, but it doesn't work. It's, and it's exhausting. A second, it's kind of related, but a second counterfeit way to, to get me where I think is going to be peace because I want peace, because my anxiety, I know peace is the opposite of anxiety. My heart will be telling me, if I get what I want, I'll have peace. That doesn't work either. If my eyes are set on things of this world, it doesn't matter how much of it I get. If I get it, my anxiety will spike because I'll be afraid I'm going to lose it. And my brain knows that's possible. Or I'll get it and figure out I still don't have peace and so I'll just set my eyes on something else. Getting whatever my heart desires is not good. It can temporarily reduce anxiety. It really can. But it's very temporary. (laughs) Very temporary. You know, if you want to get all biblical about it, which I like to do, God allowing you to have what you want sometimes is not, you know, God, you know, blessing you. Book of Romans tells us, and I'm, I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but sometimes God turns us over to those things we chase in our anxiety. Oh, you think that's what will make you happy instead of the peace I give during that situation. Good luck with that. But always with this caveat, I will be here with my peace I want to give you. If you'll repent from that and come back and ask me for for this peace that comes during difficult situations. It's been said that peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Christ. During trouble, we've got a little sign in our house. It says, sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his child and lets the storm rage. That's peace. Peace isn't the absence of hardship. It's knowing God during them. This is why Paul called the peace we're looking for, the goal during our anxiety, Paul calls it the peace of God that, some of you know the verse, what is it? The peace of God that transcends all understanding. You know what that means? The peace of God that just doesn't even make sense. You know why it's the peace of God doesn't make sense? Because the world says, you can't have peace till your circumstances are fixed. God says, no, I can give you peace when your circumstances aren't fixed. Somebody else might say, that doesn't even make sense. I know. That's what's so awesome about it. That's why we got to try to replace anxiety by asking God 
and seeking his peace. Otherwise, I become someone who doesn't think he or she can have peace unless he's in control or unless he gets what he wants. That doesn't lead to peace. That leads to stifling relationships, isolation, and more anxiety. You want to know what peace looks like? Best example, and it's a Bible verse. You all know, I don't care if this is your first time in church, I'll bet you've heard this. Here's what peace looks like. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't have anxiety. I will fear no evil. Why? Because I can figure out how to be in control. Is that what it says? No. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I can figure out how to get what I want. Even though I am walking right now in the lowest place imaginable, I'll call this the valley of the shadow of death. It's underneath death's shadow. That's how low I am. I don't have anxiety. Why? Because God is with me in the valley. That's what peace looks like. That's our goal. And anxiety. So how do we get peace? If that's our goal, how do we get it? The rest of this sermon basically is three things to pour in our hearts uh, to give us peace. Okay? Peace is the goal. So what do we pour in our hearts to get that that, that piece, first, we replace anxiety with truth. We replace anxiety with truth. Because anxiety comes from misplaced hope, it pushes our focus, narrows our focus onto earthly things because it's practical atheism. It's important to fight anxiety with what God says is true. You know this. When you're worried, what do you tend to focus on? What do you tend to say over and over? If you're anything like me, and for your sake, I hope you're not. But if you are, I bet I know what that person's doing right now. I, I bet I know what they're thinking. I bet I know what they're plotting. I bet I know what's going to happen next. You know what? If this doesn't happen, I'll bet I can invent you scenarios, man, that'll make your head spin. You know what those things are not? The truth. They might be possibilities. They might be decent, reasonable hypotheticals. But the truth isn't in them. Peter tells us I have to take my thoughts captive and make them obey Christ. I, I, I need to train myself to catch those thoughts and hold them up to God and say, Is this true? And I need to find some truth and meditate on it. The Bible prescribes meditation. But it's not emptying my brain. That's like trying to quit by trying to quit. Okay? It doesn't work. The Bible's prescription for meditation is filling my mind with truth and chewing on that, ruminating on that. Jesus, in this passage, gives us three little nuggets of truth to these people he was talking to in their worry, in their anxiety. Jesus says this in verse 26. You are valuable to God. 
Look at the birds of the sky. Do they not sow or they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Aren't you more valuable than they are? Do you know in Greek you can ask questions in a way that lets the hearer know if the answer to that question is yes or no? This one's an absolute yes. Jesus is saying, aren't you valuable to God? Yes, you are. You're valuable to God. He cares about you. Second, he cares for you. Verse 30. And this is how God clothes the wild grass. Won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? Won't he take care of you? The answer again is yes. He finds you valuable, and he will give you what you need. He may not give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. And a third thing just a little nugget of truth to chew on in anxiety from this passage. Jesus lets us know God sees what's going on in your life. Verse 32, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He sees what you're going through. He finds you valuable and he will ultimately care for you. Now there's There are hundreds of other verses in the scriptures that are good to meditate on during anxiety. The best way to find them, best Bible study tool ever invented is a little thing called Google. There's a lot of trash on it, but if you type in Bible verses for my anxiety, Bible verses when I'm worried about... And you look, you'll find, you'll find a list of some, something, and you pray and say, God, I'm looking for your peace, and I know I need your truth. Will you help me find what will speak to my heart? And then I, put, I pour that in my brain to fill up that trench of fear. And I know these three things are true. You see what's going on here. You have told me I am valuable, and I'm going to choose to believe that and you will take care of me. Replace anxiety with truth. Next, replace anxiety with purpose. Man, when you walked in here, most of us knew this verse. Seek ye first, because we all memorize it in the King James, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Right? You knew that. How many of you knew that verse was part of the cure for anxiety? Because that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't worry. How? Seek first the kingdom. First doesn't mean I'm going to seek a little bit of the kingdom and then he'll give me what I want. No, it's priority. Jesus is saying anxiety narrows your focus. Your life is more than that. You've got a purpose where you're at with what you've been given. Don't let your anxiety take your focus off your purpose. Get busy in your purpose. It'll usually involve other people. It'll usually involve service and righteousness. This is really interesting. Seek above all other things. Seek even more than you seek the solutions to what you're worried about. Seek his kingdom 
that people that are in the kingdom are strengthened, that people who are not yet in the kingdom get in, and seek righteousness. You know why Jesus throws that in? We make an assumption about you. When you get really worried about something, those are the times where you're willing to take shortcuts when it comes to righteousness. Yeah, but I might, yeah, but I might lose this business deal. So maybe I need to, yeah, but, but I might you know, fail at this or somebody else might get my spot or something else might. Jesus says, be busy about his kingdom and his righteousness. We're looking for peace, not, not just the solution to what I'm worried about. So I replace anxiety with purpose. And here's the hard part, as if the rest of it hadn't been hard already. Then I've got to replace my anxiety with trust. I've got to pour trust in my heart. It'll push out the anxiety. So my anxiety goes up. I remind myself peace is the goal. So I need to pour truth in my heart, give my brain something to think about besides hypotheticals. I pour peace in my heart. I, I get busy with my purpose. And then I trust God to be God. I trust God to be God. Now I say on the screen here, I trust God to be God. I'm not asking you to trust in statistics or probabilities. And I'm not asking you to trust in bad theology. And I want to explain those two briefly. Because very common, this is what we try to trust in to cure our anxiety. This is where we put our trust, and it's misplaced. Here's what it looks like to trust in statistics or probabilities. You have heard this. Wives, you probably heard this from your husbands. Just saying. Here's the way it goes. You are worried about something that probably isn't even going to happen. The chances of you getting eaten by a shark when we get in the water at Enders is not going, it's just not going to happen. Right? Or maybe we're at the beach. I know that's the shark's house, but he's not home. Right? It's not going to happen. You're you're worrying about something that has a very small probability of happening. Here's what's wrong with that. Bad stuff happens. And you know it. See, the internet exists, and you have found a hundred different stories of that thing you're worried about happening to someone. Right? Something else from Twitter. This, you, can put, you can put three symptoms in WebMD, right? And, and be fairly convinced you have five minutes to live. Right? And someone says, but you're worried about a hypothetical. It's probably not even going to happen. You're not, I'm not worried about the, all the times it won't happen. I'm just worried about that one time it might. And you can't guarantee me it won't. That's true. More on that in a second. I'm not saying there's no value in this because there is. It is. It's comforting at times to think, you know what, there's a 99% chance this won't happen, right? There, there's some use 
for that. That's part of chewing on truth. There can be some truth in that. All right, the bad theology part. Here's, here's the way Christians, giant air quotes. Here's some pseudo-Christian advice for dealing with anxiety. Um, it's really just a different way of control. It's the idea that if I believe hard, if I have enough faith, bad things won't happen. And somebody will pull a verse out of a book of Scripture and make it seem like, well, if something bad happens, it's your fault because you didn't believe hard enough. Or you can keep bad things from happening through your obedience from the more legalistic branches of the faith. Here's why that doesn't hold water. As soon as you fail, what does your heart say? As soon as you have, as soon as you sin, as soon as you have doubt, then what does your brain do? Here it comes. Here it comes. God's going to get me now. Listen, you, you are not in control. Your faith doesn't control stuff. Your, your goodness doesn't control stuff. And, and, and Paul makes really, really clear. Don't do it now, but, but read Romans 8 this week if you have anxiety issues. This is what a fantastic passage of Scripture. Paul tells us in Romans 8, in Roman 8 that real, believing, faithful, moral Christians face trouble, distress, persecution, exposure, peril. And then he says, we, we are being put to death all day long. What, only the ones that didn't believe hard enough? Listen, some of the Christians the lions ate, I think were probably pretty good people. Trusting God is not trusting in probabilities. It's not trusting in my ability to control God with my level of faith or my level of morality. Trusting God is, is this, God, I trust your plan will be good even when it's hard. I'm not trying to figure out how to trust you in a way to control you so that you control my circumstances. I trust you in the circumstances you allow. And I can have peace when you don't fix my circumstances. That's trusting God. Your plan will be good, though it be hard. In that same chapter, Romans 8, Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider that our present sufferings, notice he doesn't say our present sufferings wouldn't be here if we had the requisite faith or if we were better people. He just says our present sufferings can't be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. You know what Paul's saying? Your plan's going to be good even though it's really hard. A few verses later in verse 28, he says, and we know that all things work together for what? Good. Don't pull that verse out of its context. Paul has granted lots of terrible things, including execution, happen to good Christians. He says, even that somehow works together for good for those of us who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 
I trust you so much that I know your plan is going to be good even when it's hard. It takes the pressure off. It's not my fault always when the circumstances are bad. And God's not angry at me when the circumstances are bad. I can still trust him to be in control and love me and value me and ultimately bring about good. It's a very freeing thing. I I like this quote. Hudson Taylor, famous uh, missionary, who sort of opened up China to, to Christianity in a lot of ways. He said this, Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. (laughs) Sounds simple. Here's the thing. You're going to be my purpose. I'm going to focus on your truth. I'm going to pursue your peace. I'm going to make you my purpose. And I trust you with the results. And in your sovereignty, some of the temporary results might not feel good. That doesn't mean they're ultimately not good. They can't be used for good. And I trust you enough to make all this good. One more illustration because I love this. World War I, history teacher, sorry. Uh, if you slept in history class during school, you can take a quick nap while I talk about this. World War I destroyed an entire generation uh, in Europe. Like, we have no collective memory left of that war. And in America, we really never, I don't think, had a collective understanding of what it did. One illustration. Uh, we do have a collective memory of the Vietnam era. Some of you some of you remember, can you nod, let me know you're still in there, right? 20 years of American involvement, very bloody, a lot of civilian deaths, a lot of military deaths, terrible ordeal, 20 years worth. You take all the casualties of Vietnam, I mean civilians, soldiers, everybody, all 20 years, and put them together, that's how many soldiers died in World War I in the first month. And there were 50 more months to go. And one of the results is Europe was full of orphans. And they, they wandered around these impoverished cities trying not to starve. And little kids, and they were rounded up and, they were, and brought into orphanages where they could at least survive and be cared for. And these little kids had a lot of anxiety Here's what would happen. It didn't matter how much they fed these little critters at night. When their bellies started to empty out, they would wake up full of anxiety and fear of being homeless and hungry again. And like it didn't matter how much supper they gave them. All across Europe, over and over, same thing. And somebody had this idea, and it worked like a charm. Uh, they baked these little loaves of bread. And at night when they put the kids to bed, they would let each kid hold a little loaf of bread in their bed. And when their belly emptied out and their anxiety, they woke up, they're like, oh, wait, I'm not going to be hungry tomorrow. And they could sleep. Christian, you're holding the bread. 
it's going to be okay. He can use terrible situations for good. And you can have peace that he gives even when circumstances are falling apart. He's cut the legs off the bed. Here's how we pursue it. We make peace the goal in our anxiety, not fixing circumstances, not controlling outcomes, not getting what I want. Peace. Peace is the goal. How do I get it? I pour truth into my heart and mind. I meditate on what is true. I take my thoughts captives to the obedience of Christ. Is this what you consider true? I choose to believe you. He loves you. He finds you valuable. He knows what you need, and ultimately he will care for you. And he is generous. More on that in two weeks. I replace my anxiety with purpose. I fill my life with purpose. My purpose is not to be impressive or noticed, but my purpose is to glorify my God where he has put me, with what he's given me. I pursue his kingdom and his righteousness over everything else, even over the things I'm actually worried about. And then I trust God to be God, that his plans will be good, though they be difficult. And those things can begin to fill my heart with a peace that doesn't make sense and it doesn't leave near as much room for anxiety. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us your peace, peace that comes from knowing you, from your sure uh, salvation. God, I thank you that whatever I am anxious about, whatever I am suffering through, it doesn't deserve to be compared to the glories that that will come. Which means the worst thing that I've ever gone through will be so far eclipsed from what you have in store for me that it's like I'm sleeping with the bread I have a hope that won't die God remind us to pursue peace when our anxiety spikes by filling our hearts with truth by by being dedicated to our purpose to your kingdom and your righteousness and you will give us what we want because what we want is peace Help us diagnose, self-diagnose how we're chasing counterfeits to your peace and using control and trying to get what I want when what I need is your peace and what you want. And God, grow our faith to be able to trust you that your plans are good even when they're hard. That our souls might be still because they're filled with your peace.